0: hello and welcome to 21st century vitalism i am your host brett kane and you are tuning into the third episode not sure how much longer i'll let you guys know what episode you're on you know where you're at at this point it's been a couple weeks i thank you for being here it means a lot that you uh clicked on the show and decided to give it a listen Got a really good episode in store for you guys. It's a bit of a longer one, but it's a really important topic, and it's one that's very close to me and something I want to explore continuously throughout this show. So I thought I would open up this container as wide as possible to allow as much information to, um, I guess, uh, set the stage. I think, um, yeah, this is something that has greatly influenced me in my path and is even maybe a part of why I'm doing this show. Um, Today we're going to be talking about trauma and uh, the science of how your body stores trauma and how we can potentially process it using somatic means, somatic being um, body-based work. Um, My guest is Nicholas Bolton, who is an Ohio-based mental health counselor who is trained in the somatic experiencing Uh, modality which is propagated by Peter Levine uh, and this is exactly what got me into wanting to do body work so for me this is a really cool um, topic because it really brings in so many different things that I'm incredibly passionate about um, and interested in with uh, just the way that the body and emotions uh, coexist and are actually one thing so Um, Yeah, this is a long episode, so I'm not going to take up too much of your time, but I do have some really exciting news for my personal practice Um, as a massage therapist. I'm going to be expanding and learning a different modality that I'm going to be able to offer to my clients. Um, I'm going to be studying mindfulness meditation under David Nicktern, who is a meditation teacher who studied directly underneath Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who uh, is one of the big proponents of bringing Buddhism to the West and uh, changing the way that it interacts with the West and using the Western moda- or mindset to actually um, develop a sense of spaciousness. And uh, this is a hugely powerful practice, and uh, this is a really incredible teacher that has inspired me for... Multiple years and has uh, greatly influenced my own personal practice. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, as the show unfolds and as I make more moves into uh, the full embodiment of what I want to offer people, I will uh, slowly drip feed different things that are inspiring me. So um, that's going to be starting in mid October, and uh, I'm really excited for it. I think this is going to be an incredible opportunity, and. I'm excited to be able to guide more people, um, a part of what I want to do with this show, um, six months to a year out. Once I get an established, um, momentum with it is to offer as a part of a, my Patreon service that I'll be unveiling next year in 2021, um, embodiment coaching sessions. Um, so this is, uh, one of the, the second, uh, pillar that I want to include. So I'm really excited. I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, but. Before I get too carried away, because this is a two-hour-long episode, and I implore you to listen to all of it, because it all builds on its on what we cement further in the beginning. Um, we kind of circle back around and expand the understanding, and this is a very important topic. And uh, we have a lot of fun in our banter, and it is a pretty engaging conversation. I mean, if I should show myself, otherwise, I won't be sharing it. Um, so yes. Uh, Without further ado, please welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, Nicholas Bolton. All right. Nick, hello. Welcome to 21st Century Vitalism.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. An honor to be here.
0: Yeah. I, uh, like I was just saying off the recording, you're actually one of the first people that I was considering having on my first 10 episodes. Um, and that's actually because you are a big reason unto why I got licensed to be a massage therapist. Mm. Um, mm. Just a little yeah. backstory. I spent quite a bit of time pursuing music. I actually met you when I was coming back from a music mm. intensive mm-hmm. with uh, our mutual friend, Joel. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we had a talk about trauma. We randomly met up in a uh, Thai restaurant, I think, and you just stroll up and Joel's like, oh, that's like one of my best friends. Right, right. And you started blowing my mind with a lot of talk about the science of trauma and how it settles in the body. And for me, like a light kind of went on in that moment. And it started a path within me where i started investigating it you suggested uh peter levine's work uh specifically waking the tiger Mm, mm -hmm. and that it gripped me in a way that music never really had and i just knew off the bat like i had to get involved with somatic experience um so i want to start this off by asking you what does vitality mean to you
1: Mm, that's a great question man yeah Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, right off the top of the head, you know, vitality to me is, you know, our connection to our life force energy and, you know, the, um, you know, our, our own connection to our, like our potential and what we're, what we're capable of and, um, you know, and, and, and what we can bring into the world and, uh and what what i found is that um you know our our nervous system has a, a particular capacity uh, i almost sometimes kind of think of our nervous system as like a battery pack and you know and so as we're trying to navigate life and navigate situations and um you know all the stress that we deal with um you know our nervous system can get bogged down meaning that like if our capacity is is kind of narrow uh you know uh life force and and experience uh might not be able to move th- through freely and fluidly and and might get stuck and and that stuckness might impact us mentally emotionally physically spiritually and yeah so to me it's like vitality is this, um, in one way, like a sense of openness, um, you know, in, in how we allow experience to move through us and energy to move through us. And, and then also, um, in another way, sort of tapping into our potential and being able to kind of direct and allocate this energy in a, in an intentional way, uh, that by honor and being in alignment to, to what we value or what we stand for. Um, in life, and um, and so to me, you know, we we need vitality um, in in order to you know uh, bring change into our life and into our world and um, all these systems that we're navigating, and and so if we have uh, vitality in ourselves and vitality in our community, then we have a more full potential to um, you know find find balance and to co-create you know a world. In uh, a life that that we want to live, wow, that's
0: really beautiful. I guess I wouldn't expect anything less <laughs> um, so for me like the um the image that I get, especially when you're saying uh it's kind of like a free flowing thing is that of like a river unbounded and it's just barreling towards its destination um and what I find really interesting with your work and what has inspired me to get into the line of um somatic type of therapy is the idea that by investigating the places that were blocked, like if there's a bunch of debris in the river that changes the course of it, then we're able to actually better understand what a fully flowing river is. And it's by observing the polar opposite of it that we have a frame of reference for what free flowing vitality is. So would you agree that that's?
1: Sure. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that, that, that totally resonates. And, and I feel like the river is such a good metaphor. Um, you know, both, both personally, you know, sort of just, you know, um, you know, I, I just really love nature and, 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 and in those moments, you know, when I'm with nature or on the river or observing the river, you know, lots of insights emerge and, um, you know and and just like the the rivers inside of us you know our blood flowing and and you know the streaming like yeah so it's a perfect parallel and um and and yeah and and so i so i feel like uh what we're kind of tapping into maybe is like the you know what are the conditions um that support this free flowing of 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 water and of energy and you know you mentioned you know obstacles and you know like a a block you know like uh like a little eddy or something like a spirally or like uh some debris um but i also really just you know am drawn to like the the bank you know the banks of the river and you know like for for a river to flow freely and fluidly you know there there needs to be a strong bank you know like these strong uh, it's kind of like a uh, bump, bumper bowling in, yeah, in some sort yeah. of way, you know, this, like these guide marks that help the river flow into a direction and, and be contained where it's not, you know, just overflowing or, you know, getting off track or,
0: you know. So in the human experience, what would you say these banks are? Are they our value systems, our experiences, just like how we relate to the world or what defines the bank in our lives?
1: Mm. yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, yeah, well, well, I, you know I, I do think it's it's probably multifaceted and um, you know, but the I guess the initial thought is that uh, we could consider um, our bodies, you know, like the um our actual you know biology and um you know, our, our, our body to, to be in some way like a container, you know, um, and I guess, you know, the most basic sense of container, uh, you know, the sense of boundary, because that's kind of what we're talking about is the bank is kind of like this boundary for the, the water to unfold within um, and, and, and to move through. And you know, if you think about it, like you know, our our skin is the most basic boundary that we have. That kind of sets up this you know distinction that you know what's with what's within my skin is me, and outside my skin is not me. You know this this uh, differentiation of self and and other self in the world. Um, and so uh, you know, so you have the skin, and uh, and then maybe even the the fascia, the level of the fascia, and. Um, and then you can go down to the level of the muscles and then you can go down even to the level of the bones. But, you know, these are like, uh, the most basic sense of a container, uh, you know, that, that, um, creates, uh, like a sense of stability and integrity for our nervous system to, you know, operate, um, on and, uh, you know, um, our experience moves through and, you know, and if you think about it, you know, if, if you're, um, if you don't have strong bones, or you know, if your um, you know muscles become atrophied or flaccid or whatnot, it's much harder to have the integrity and the stability and uh, the balance to, you know, meet the demands of life and um, um, and 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 to engage in, in in valued action. And so, so I feel like there's this bodily piece, and then you know, I also feel like there's a you know we're not islands as well and so there's yeah. probably a community piece as well you yeah. know and a sense of that we're stronger as a community and if we have support and connection and community then then that in turn helps our sense of container being stronger mm-hmm. and, and if our container is stronger uh and and we're boundaried you know uh and in integrity then we can show up for our community and make our community stronger as well wow that's
0: incredible I like the idea of having the community also be a part of the bank and that's kind of a direction I'd like to take this show specifically in showing that in order to have a sense of vitality you do have to be engaged in the world and have healthy relationships because they reinforce your sense of self in a positive or a negative way Mm -hmm. and if you have a bad relationship with the external world then that actually compromises your entire being. Um, right. But I do like the biology approach because I do think like the experience happen happened through our biology and it's something that we we experience things through the feeling of the muscles. You know, like if you're having um, a really stressful day, you experience that stressful day through a tense neck and mm-hmm. um, shallow breathing. So the idea of that being a container for your experiences, um, I, I really like that approach to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Underneath utilizing this metaphor, what would you say uh, the metaphor, of the river that is, Mm -hmm. um, do you have a way to introduce trauma into this and like what that would look like? So, um, as opposed to the, the freely flowing river, what, how does trauma manifest in that man, that metaphor?
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. Well, I, I, I love the, the, the river metaphor and there's, and there's so many different ways to, to, um, tap into it and, um, make sense of it. And, um, well, and it and it gets me curious of like, um, you know, so I've I've personally been trained in something called somatic experiencing. And you you mentioned this, you know, when we initially talked uh the work of Peter Levine, um, who uh is the 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 founder of the you know somatic experiencing model and um and in 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 the training and in his books, you know, he often sets up this this idea of the um Uh, of a river um i think he calls it like the stream of life or something like that um but you know so the story goes that uh you know and i'm probably like filtering it through you know lots of different people so i'm curious you know what, what peter would say here but um you know but how i understand it you know is you know uh, you know, Peter was sitting next to a, a stream, and he was, you know, just watching, you know, the the river and this flow of energy. And he saw this little leaf kind of floating by, and uh, you know, and the leaf kind of started like going into one of those eddies where, the, you know, the the water starts to spiral and spin. And he watched the the leaf move into the eddy, and then kind of go into the center of that little vortex, and then it like just disappeared. <laughs> and and then you know he's like, huh, okay, that's interesting. Hmm, okay. And him being a, you know a curious observer, um, you know, noticed that the leaf kind of just like uh, emerged uh, somewhere else, uh, mm. like a little bit further away. So so the leaf went into one vortex and and then disappeared but then it popped up somewhere else and and so it got him very curious of um you know of this 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 idea of a vortex and and when you when you start studying like vortices and uh like polarity like like every vortex always has a counter vortex um you know there's always a counter pole you know and um, and so it's, it sets up a way to kind of understand trauma, or it just sets up a model to 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 make sense of it a little bit. Um, and so, in the Somatic Experiencing model, we 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 have this um, you know this uh, these two vortex. Uh, vortices, you know, and so the the first vortex, you know, so if, so if you imagine, so l- let's come back to the river for a second, so so you're on the river, and uh, let's say you're, you know, you're on a vessel of some sort, and, um, you know, and there might be an obstacle of some sort, you know, and, and uh, some debris, and maybe you get stuck in it for a second and spun around, and then you come back out into the flow. And then you know you're you're flowing down the river, and you see, uh, you see ahead, and you see a few more obstacles. And you know you can always like choose to navigate around that obstacle, or know, um, some obstacles might not be you know you might not be able to navigate around, so you might get stuck in it for a second. But you might be able to kind of you know circle around you know and then come back out into the flow. And um, and so sometimes the the way that we think of trauma is that. Um, you know we think of trauma as this sort of shock that kind of disrupts that flow and so if you know if you draw a river on a piece of paper you know um and this flowing you know um, flowing energy um and let's say uh let's say the river flowing horizontally and so on top we can say you know we can kind of draw like a lightning bolt that like a, a shock comes and kind of disrupts the flow you know and it could be in an, an event uh like a traumatic event of some sort or accumulation of events but what happens when that shock hits that that flow and disrupts it is then some of that 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 energy some of the water gets sucked up into that that vortex it kind of creates this vortex where the the energy and the water starts to kind of get get sucked up into that vortex and um and it, in, in actuality, if you look at like a, a vortex or you look like how, how it might spiral um, uh, towards the center, uh, the, the the closer you get to the center of the the vortex, the faster the energy is, uh, the more intense the energy is. And then if you get sucked into the center of the vortex, you kind of go into that like that freeze. You kind of, you know, it's just too much. It's so overwhelming that you kind of just freeze. Um and so it sets up this idea that, you know, when we experience trauma, um, you know, there, there's this sense of it shocks, you know, or another way of saying that is, um, you know, the most basic definition of trauma that I use is that, it, you know, trauma can be anything that's just too much, too fast, and not enough time to metabolize or digest, you know, so things that are overwhelming. And, um, and so, some of our life force, our, our energy starts to get sucked up into that that vortex. And when we're in that vortex, then we're not in the flow of life anymore. You know, we're, and you know, and to define it just a little bit further, you know, when we're in the flow of life, you know, I can be engaged with life. I can be uh, flexible, flexible. I can be present. I can have access to my best self. Um, some of the things that you're naming, you know, I can show up in relationship and navigate. You know fluidly, you know the dynamics of relationship, and I can feel like I'm in charge of my life and the direction of my life. And so, when that flow gets disrupted and that shock hits, you know, it it pulls our energy, and we start losing access to that um, that flow, that engagement, that that sense of presence in life. Oh
0: how big of an event would you say it takes to create that shock? Something that I haven't admittedly looked into, but I have this inclination that it doesn't take a lot to create like mini shocks, especially in the developmental stages. So say um, the the small child isn't getting enough love or getting uh, the right amount of hugs or they're getting ignored in a way. No. Mm-hmm. Is that it powerful enough to create um, Parts of the the river that get caught, mm. um, is that mm. enough to have long lasting ramifications? That like, is it possible that everybody has a level of trauma within their experience? It's kind of what I'm wondering.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an excellent point, and you know, keen observation. You know, because it's um, it's one of those things that it it often depends, right? Because it's. Um, You know like you could have two people you know uh go through the same exact event and one person develops symptoms of trauma and the other doesn't you know and you know we can get very curious of okay like how how can that be you know both people experience the exact same event but there's two different responses and and so it kind of you know highlights the complexity of the nervous system and the complexity of biology and 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 life and um and you know, so the way that I think about it is that um, you know each of us has a you know a different degree of resilience in, in our nervous system, you know, a different degree of you know um, like flexibility or capacity of of being able to handle uh, and bounce back from you know a difficult life event. Um, but you know, if you think about it, right? Like, and I used that battery pack example earlier. Um, so, you know, an infant and, you know, and then a young developing nervous system, uh, their, their biology is much smaller, right? Uh, their nervous system, you know, we slowly, you know, grow and our, our bodies get bigger. And so as we develop and we, you know, move into adolescence and then adulthood, like our baddier packs, like, it's like an expansion pack, you know, like in a video game or something, you know, like, and, and, um, we can, we, you know, so an adult has a bigger, uh, battery pack meaning that um, we can handle more charge we can handle more life energy we, we can mm-hmm. handle more uh, like a more shock or more stress but um, but at the same time you know there's a lot of contingencies and and what impacts somebody's capacity and and battery pack and you know and what we, what we know about trauma is that uh, it's intergenerational you know and there's some cutting-edge research coming you know, um, up in the epigenetic field and, you know, we're learning how, you know, phobia and and trauma can get passed down through, you know, epigenetic patterning. Um, meaning that like, um, you know, it's possible that, you know, the stress and the trauma that my mother experienced in her life, uh, and, you know, even during, you know, uh, pregnancy and whatnot, somehow gets imprinted upon a developing nervous system. And, you know, and so there's, I guess there's so many different angles and, you know, ways to make sense of it. But if, if, you know, if my caregiver, you know, um, has, you know, does not have much uh, capacity in their system f- for whatever reason, maybe just life circumstance or, um, you know, or just, uh, heredity or just, you know, patterns that get passed down or, or they themselves didn't have support, then, then, then they're, then. It impacts the sense of containment that they can provide for that developing nervous system, right? Like, because it's mm-hmm. the unique thing about uh, and and a human being, you know, a newborn baby is that, like, because our brains are um, so evolved, you know, and 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 bigger with like the the cortex, um, you know, our development continues even after birth, right? right. Like, and so. Um, So the idea, if we go back to the river metaphor, like the container for an infant is, is the caregiving relationship, right? It's, it's a, a newborn baby cannot, you know, regulate themselves. They're completely dependent upon a caregiver to attend and attune to their unique needs and to um, show up and respond and, um, you know, be able to differentiate that cry is uh, hunger or um you know or their diaper needs changed or they got startled by a sound and 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 you know and so you know if the caregiver you know picks up the crying baby and brings it close to their heart you know their body and rocks it and cares for it the the baby slowly learns how to regulate itself and those circuits start coming online so all the regulation uh circuits you know um and relational circuits. come online and and get um sculpted through these early early relationships uh mirroring with the caregiver you know and so if my caregiver cannot handle certain emotional states or stress because it's too much and it overwhelms their system that then is going to impact how those circuits come online in that that infant Um, and, and so they're not going to have the scaffolding needed, the the banks needed to develop, you know, the, the circuitry needed, um, you know, uh, to, to learn self-regulation and, um, you know, balance. Um, and so that's how some, you know, um, you know, trauma gets passed down from generation to generation. Um,
0: that's insanely fascinating. So what exactly do you know about the mechanism that we learn? Is that through the mirror neurons Mm. or is this something deeper with like, um, biorhythms and
1: right, right. Well, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's both and, and more, you know, I think it's, it's happening on all these different levels and layers, you know, um, you know it it you know mirror neurons are definitely a part of it you know because mirror neurons are like you know we consider the mirror neurons because it's you know there's this mirroring there's this like humans you know learn through that imitation and through you know mirroring back and and observation and and you know so for those that um you know have not heard of mirror neurons or 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 might be a little bit unclear it's you know it's you know sometimes the brain doesn't know the difference between what it's doing versus what it's observing someone else do you know so so if, you know that's why uh, if you watch you know uh, i i oftentimes like watch uh, people watching sports <laughs> yeah. because i just i'm such a human observer you know that yeah. i'm more interested in how people are are receiving the event versus yeah. the event than itself but that's just it's just me but but if you you know watch a quarterback throw that touchdown pass you know your mirror neurons are firing as if you yourself were throwing that touchdown pass, the brain gets really confused, you know, uh, what it's doing versus watching someone else do that. And yeah, so mirror neurons are, you know, definitely at play. And, but like you're saying, you know, um, you know, the biorhythms and, um, you know, the, you know, uh, the endocrine system and, um, you know, and there's probably, uh, you know, nutritional aspects and there's, um, um, you know, there are all, all these different layers and, and levels that influence um, like our nervous system, our nervous systems are so in sync that I think that we, we take that for granted. We don't realize how in sync we actually are. And you know, and, and, and just by being in the same space, our nervous systems are communicating on all these subtle levels and layers um, mm-hmm. without even saying anything. Um, and, and you don't even have to get into the metaphysics, you know, um, you know, in, in the somatic world, we have this, uh, phrase called the resonance field and, 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 and within the resonance field, like, you know, our two nervous systems syncing up right now, like, you know, we're, we're communicating on all these, you know, little nonverbal levels. And, you know, what do they say? Like our DNA emits ultraviolet light. And so there's all this energy exchange happening on all these subtle, subtle levels and layers that we're just not able to see and sense at this conscious level. It's, it's oh. all implicit. And, and that's why trauma is so hard to work with. And, and, and it's usually so hard to see uh, because it's implicit, it's unseen. It's, it's under the surface, you know? And, um, yeah. And so it's, it's one of those things that, um, know there's there's a neuroscientist uh daniel siegel who who um studies you know attachment and relationships from like a you know neuroscience uh standpoint and i forget the exact statistic but there's a very high percentage of um the the dynamics that we experience in relationship as adults um it's i don't forget what it is like 80 percent. it's a very high number percentage uh that those dynamics are influenced by these really old young attachment patterns that get laid down in those first few years of life, you know, right. zero to zero to two, zero to five. Um, but if you think about it, like in a developing nervous system, language doesn't come on until like later on. And then language slowly develops, becomes more sophisticated. Um, and so trauma can get laid down like pre-verbal before we even have conscious understanding, conscious awareness of it. And so, you know, that's why even in therapy, sometimes it's very challenging to uh, detect trauma and, and it's re- why it's really hard to talk your way through it as well. Because uh, it's it's implicit. It's, it's under the surface and it's below that conscious awareness. Wow. Well,
0: yeah, it kind of a lot of this talk kind of gives credence to the idea that your community is a part of your bank as much as your biology, like your community is your biology. Um, I, I've always had the idea that, um, like a gathering mind a gathering of minds is always intimate, even if you're being casual, even if you're super sarcastic and you put up a lot of walls. Not only is that just a communicator, but you're still intimately merging energies. So whenever you share space with someone, you are reading each other's energy in a way that you're affecting the way that they feel and the way that they relate to mm, themselves. Wow. And you reinforce simply by existing, you're actually reinforcing behaviors in other people. Um, and that's yeah. something that I'm realizing um, as a massage therapist, um, I am interfacing with people's nervous systems. And the best thing I can do, I mean, outside of like providing a good service and helping people relieve tension is to be able to hold a positive space within myself. Because if I come at it full of anxiety, then that's what I'm imprinting based on. I mean, I'm touching their back. I'm all over their body, you know? So the what I always focus on, what I think is like, the highest goal for any somatic therapist is to first really secure your own internal energy resonance so that you don't impart unnecessary um, lingering damage, you know? Mm. Whereas a lot Mm. of people, um, especially in this profession, um, there's kind of this nasty comparison of, like, medical massage and then, like, Mm. relaxation. They make this distinction, but, like, all massage is medical. Um, But I find a lot of people that, like, embody that are very cold and calculating, and they could do really good work on the musculature, but if you're not affecting, I mean, you are affecting the nervous system, and if you're not giving it a chance to express itself and you're imparting your will onto it, then it creates like a dissonance, um, and that comes from you as an ego thinking that you are the one to fix their body rather than hold the space of coherence within yourself and allowing their body to pick up on that coherence. So... Um, right. and that's just experiential just from what I've witnessed rather than like something I've studied. So I, I'd like some like confirmation to be able to like study that myself. But so far as I experiment, that has always kind of seemed to be the way, you know,
1: totally. Yeah. Well, right on, man. Yeah. That, that's on point. And once again, like, you know, well noticed because, um, you know, it sounds like you're paying attention to the subtleties and, you know, in your system and, and, and the system that you're working on, working with, you know, facilitating. Um, and yeah, there's so much there. (laughs) My my mind has so many thoughts. uh, There's so many different facets. Um, and, you know, and, I don't know. It's like we we live in such an individualized society, you know? like we we worship individualism and um, you know, we seem to. Uh, exist in silos you know like many of us don't even know our neighbors now yeah. and like and even in the sciences and you know um different um you know uh, knowledge bases and whatnot it, it, there's still a lot of silos you know like these specialties don't communicate with other specialties and yeah um and and then we tend to blame the individual you know for their problems or their you know suffering or you know they're not uh you know choosing hard enough or they're not uh they're you know but like you're bringing up a good point which is like you know the the community and the family and the the system matters and you know and it's you know um you know i i like to you know think that if you know if a If a nervous system um has its needs met like it you know it's like growing a garden you know you 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 need the healthy soil and the sunshine and the water and you know the environment and, and all of that you know and you don't you don't blame the uh the flower for 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 not doing well you know and and you know it's like you get curious of like well what are the conditions that might support more healthy growth and resilience you know and you get curious of like Um, you know, the elements and the, you know, the biodiversity in the soil. And, um, and if, you you know, and if you change the conditions, uh, then the nervous system or the plant that responds in a different way and, and, and can more find that pathway towards healing, growth, and resiliency. And, um, so that's, that's, you know, what I'm very curious of is, um, you know, how, how to support, you know, healthy communities and, um, you know you know and kind of what you're saying too it, you know as a practitioner like the degree of health and regulation of my nervous system matters as well you know and so um i've realized in order to sustain in this you know trauma work uh that can be very difficult and challenging like i need to continually invest in my own healing and my own self-care and it's an ever you know changing continual process and You know, if I show up and have something in my field or, you know, I'm dysregulated. Yeah, that's going to change the container and that's going to change the conditions, you know, that show up in that that session. And, you know, and then I might bring my stuff in. And so, um, you know, so I realized that, like, I am continually trying to find ways to uh uncover my own trauma and i'm realizing wow i'm i actually have lots of trauma like you know you kind of like you don't you don't think about it you know was like oh i'm all right like i'm good and then you think about it like wow there's a lot there and you know and um but you know if, if 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 i can show up you know in a session and be as present as possible and i can be as regulated and coherent in my nervous system as possible, the work has already started. Their nervous system is going to feel that, and sense that, you know. And and we're going to start organizing, you know, differently in the field, you know. Versus if I'm not um, able to attune and be present to their system, or I'm not able to, um, you know, um, find that, you know, coherence in me. Um, So, you know, yeah, I think you're right on point. I think you'd be very curious of uh, the somatic experiencing touch work because it's much different um, uh, a lot of the times than, than, you know, other uh, body work type of modality, just in the intention of of how we're showing up in that touch. Wow.
0: Yeah, um, I definitely want to get into that because I I read um, Waking the Tiger and I believe a lot of that book is dedicated towards that. So... I know that that's something that's one of your main pillars, so I want to dive in. But first, this all really reminds me of a quote from Timothy Leary, uh, the psychonaut of the 60s. He said, um, In order to do good, you have to feel good. Mm. And since I heard that, that has been like a guiding principle in my life. Like, if as soon as you start taxing your own internal systems, then you're not going to be able to do any good in the world because you're only going to be reinforcing the chaotic, jumbled energy. Um, so right, I right. I really and I've also wondered um, and this is more of just like a I don't know if there's anything really grounding this but I wonder if that is a part of how we've evolved into monogamous creatures because um, I think might have been Stephen porges i'm not sure but someone came up with the science of safety and what that does for regulating our Mm -hmm. own internal systems and it's all through feeling safe with another being being able to be witnessed as you are actually changes the way your physiology operates right so i feel like that might be an explanation to why we moved away from primarily polyamory as um, a base organizing structure you know and um yeah. But before we get off on that tangent, I do want to uh, pivot to um, somatic experiencing because um, it is the the thing that um, as I was researching it, I'm like, dude, I really want to get involved in this, but I don't want to go for five to eight years to school. Like, And then I looked and it said like massage therapist and I'm like, oh, that's an in. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what exactly is somatic experiencing and how does it differ from traditional models to navigate trauma response.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure, man. It's um, yeah, I'm glad that we're talking about it because I feel like it's very important and um, you know, where I am here in Ohio, you know, it's, it's slowly catching on um, the, the somatic model, but it's um, most of the time it's very misunderstood or, or just not really known because it's not. Um, it's not taught, you know, in academia. Usually, I mean, it's it's slowly is catching on, and you'll see the polyvagal and um, you know um, the somatic and the trauma informed. You know, it's it's catching it's catching on, and there is some momentum. But I feel, I feel like, like it's a, oops, yeah, sorry. please yeah.
0: I was just gonna say, I feel like um, I think. Uh, I forgot the first name but uh Vanderkook. The the mm-hmm. body keeps the score, I feel really opened the floodgate on this line of thinking and I noticed mm-hmm. that it is kind of a different approach, like the body based trauma care rather than like working on the mind and talk therapy. And I feel like this fork in the road is just really interesting to me and um yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean right. to cut you off there, but. Right.
1: Well, that's important, though. You know, you, you planted a little seed, and it's, it's an important seed because you're right. Uh, Bessel Vanderkolk and his uh, Body Keeps the Score is like a paradigm shifting book. And I feel like it, it has caught on, and a lot of people are, are reading it or. Uh, being recommended it, it's it's very interesting how it spreads, and and I have people come to me that have you know uh, read the book or or went to a Bessel uh, you know talk or workshop, and uh, and in that talk or in the book they discovered wow there's this whole other uh, you know paradigm in thinking about and understanding trauma uh, that's often missed and not understood, and and so you know, more and more I have people come into me specifically for somatic work, which is really, really cool. And, you know, and so the, you know, the, the primary difference is, you know, the, the difference between like a top-down approach and a, and a, and a bottom-up approach. And, and the best way I can try to explain it, um, because, you know, as you know, some, sometimes it's real easy to get stuck in jargon and, and, uh, um, make things a lot more complicated and it's complex, right? But, but it's, it's helpful to have a a simple way of understanding it. And so I often introduce, um, uh, uh, what I think it comes from Daniel Siegel once again, but he, he calls it the hand model of the brain. And so you can even try this, you know, uh, where where you're at, you know, you you hold your hand up and, um, and so you're looking at your hand, the palm of your hand, um, the wrist uh, in this model represents the brainstem, and so the brainstem uh, is what we call the survival brain. And so this is where uh, you know the the it's all it's like the autonomic nervous system, the everything automatic. You know, so uh, the breathing and the digestion and the heart rate, all these things that we don't think about, they're just completely involuntarily and they're always going on under the surface. Um, and the survival brain also houses the fight or flight freeze response, right? Like all these instinctual uh, processes that come online uh, to help us survive and respond to threat. And, um, and then if you um, are looking at your palm and you bring your thumb so your thumb is actually touching uh, your pinky. So I'm kind of bringing my thumb across the palm of my hand and and touching the very bottom base of my pinky. The thumb represents the limbic system, uh, what we call the emotional brain, the midbrain. And then the fingers and knuckles wrap around the thumb and the fingers and knuckles represent the cortex, the human brain, like these frontal lobes that, that sit on top. And so once again, this, this is a very simplified model. The, the brain's a lot more complex than this, but this is a model that really kind of ha- helps highlight certain functions and really helps us understand what's going on and why the somatic approach is very helpful. And so um, so within the limbic system, so in the, in the thumb part, uh, there is something called the amygdala and the amygdala is like the fire alarm, you know, so when the amygdala detects threat, it, it, it's, you know, turns on the fire alarm, the, the sirens ring. And then when the sirens ring, the alarms on the, the survival brain takes over and comes online and then the lid gets flipped. So, so, you know, the, the fingers and knuckles are wrapped around the, the thumb. We, they, I lift them up in the air uh and me and we, we say the lid gets flipped you know the lid being the cortex the human part of the brain you know that the human part of the brain that has everything to do with language and culture and uh you know um, being able to analyze and reason and and logic you it's know probably where your
0: personality is
1: it can be yeah you know in per, like personality you know um sometimes you know in the literature they'll call them character structures um uh you know there's it can be multifaceted and, 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 uh, and so sometimes there's these hidden layers of personality or character structure that, that, um, could be influenced by genetics and, 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 and biology and, and environment and the relationship and, and, but there's definitely, you know, cognitive layers of personality for sure. And, um, you know, ways that we process, um, you know, uh, in, in our, in our thinking and perceptions and, um, you know and and so it's definitely part of it but but i would say you know there's probably all layers you know that there is a uh all three parts of the brain probably influence personality on some level i'm guessing and um you know but like so but here's what's interesting is that like once again if you if you we think of the amygdala that's like the fire alarm and so think about it as metaphorically um like like if you're scanning your email so you know if you're scrolling your email and i get so many emails these days you know and so i have to really discern okay mm-hmm. is this email important or not and i'm just scrolling scrolling and scrolling but when i find one that's important it's like i want to come back to this email that's important you can put a star next to it or a flag next to it you know it's like okay i want to come back to this. this is important that's what the amygdala does so when life is streaming through us through our senses through our biology uh, the amygdala is watching it and paying attention, you know, to the stream of experience and flow of energy. And when the amygdala says, "Oh, something that's coming through reminds it of something in the past that was overwhelming, traumatic, emotionally charged," the amygdala flags it. And as soon as the amygdala flags it, the the lid gets flipped and the survival brain takes over. And in, in other words, that alarm bell go off and the survival brain does what it's supposed to do which comes online aka like the fight flight freeze Um, but what's important here and this is the important part is that the lid gets flipped like so those fingers and knuckles flip up in the air and meaning that and once again things are complex and there's gray you know so it's not always all or none and not every experience is the same. Uh, or the same amount of intensity, or whatnot. But let's say, for the sake of just talking about this, that in this case, let's say it's all or none, just to really highlight what we're, what we're, the message we're trying to portray here. So what happens because that lid gets flipped, um, and the survival brain takes over, um, the the cortex is not available anymore. So a lot of people that have experienced trauma. Uh, they're not able to talk about their experience often. Oftentimes, they can't find the words, um, and and then that can be very frustrating because we live in a very verbal, logical culture, you know, and it can be very frustrating not to not have the the language. Like the Broca's area of the brain that's responsible for language gets offline. It's part of this lid getting flipped. So language, reason, uh, to focus clearly and to reason and and um, logically deduce you know it's not available it's it's not online um and that's why you can't think your way through trauma and that's why telling your friend when they're upset and having a hard time and maybe even having an anxiety attack like that's why telling your friend to chill out and calm down it's not going to work yeah. and in fact it probably makes it worse i don't know if you've ever experienced that but it, it you know and because then you feel shameful for not being able to calm down or chill out or like or explain it or explain it you know tell me what's going on you know um or somebody in trauma yeah i know and you know even the paramedics or people like what happened you know let's you know and and so the important part here is that because the lid gets flipped those um circuits um those pathways of communication aren't available so like i said top-down interventions thing it's like CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, which is the model. Um, and therapy, especially here in, in Ohio, here in the, the Midwest, it's... Um, um, and behavior, you know, um, the, the, the idea is that, you know, if I can influence cognition and change cognition, then I can change behavior. That That's sort of the very simplified premise of the, of the model. And so, you know, there's a lot of like, hey, let's reframe this. Let's think about this in a different way. Let's, if I can change my thoughts, then I can change my attitude and my filters and my behavior. And so, it's a top-down. It's coming from the cortex down. Um, and what what Bessel's saying in in his book, and if you listen to his lectures and things, he's saying that that's not going to work with trauma because those pathways aren't there. And so what we need to do is to come up from the bottom up, meaning that, you know, you can't really see me on the camera right now, but like I'm coming up like uh, from the elbow all the way up the forearm up into that wrist, meaning that I'm coming from the bottom up and I'm going to start working with that survival brain. And the language of the survival brain is sensation. And so, you know, somatic experiencing. Um, a lot of the the core um, principles and uh, interventions are sensory interventions. They're they're bio- biologically based. It's a biologically based model, meaning that we're coming up from the bottom up, and we're trying to communicate to this brainstem and bring that you know sense of safety and regulation uh, back online. You know, and if the brainstem can regulate and come back into regulation, and, and come back into a sense of safety, then the lid comes back down. You know, those fingers that got flipped up in the air, the fingers and knuckles can come back down over top you know, the thumb again, and, and then we can have an integrated brain. You know? um, because when, when the brain's integrated, then it fully is available. You know, you know, I can be fully human. I have access to, you know, being able to focus and pay attention, to have logic and reason, and um, and then, you know, then I can, then later I can process things through meaning and thinking, and 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 so later down the road, maybe CBT might work and be helpful for people, but if you're Applying CBT right away, or a cognitive approaches interventions right away, it's not going to work. And what Bessel's saying, and it's sort of a very bold statement. And once again, this is not all or none stuff, and it's very gray. And you know. Yeah. And, Um, but you know, if you do cognitive interventions too soon, you might even harm somebody. It might even re-traumatize somebody. It might be way too much, way too fast for them and, and can harm people. So, so he's sort of like, you know, trying to educate people on how the brain works and how trauma works. And it it really gives a platform to understand how somatic experiencing is this bottom up, more biological based model um, that's working, you know, through like sensation to to bring, you know, regulation back into that, you know, that, that brainstem. Wow.
0: So by working through the sensations, is that implying that people who've undergone trauma are still feeling sensations that are similar to the experience that happened or what, Mm. um, what sensations do you typically start to work with and how do you integrate that into an actual practice when you see clients?
1: Right, right. Yeah. Very important question. Um, and yeah, and it's really, it's really amazing when you really get into it because, um, what happens is that um yeah well let's take one step back and 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 answer answer the question by kind of differentiating um and adding like another layer of definition to to trauma and because this will really help highlight and answer answer you know this very important question that you're you know getting curious about and so trauma is not the event that happened, it rather trauma is our like response to the event. It, in other words, trauma is what happens in the body in relationship and, and in response to the event. So in other words, um, when I encounter a threat in the environment, um, my body instinctually moves into that fight, flight, freeze response. It's innate, you know. it's instinctual. And and so let, let's let's add like an example just to really like try to make it concrete, and and I always use this example, and I th- think this example was um, actually shared with me um, by a, a, a somatic teacher, and um, and it might you know it might be a difficult example f- for some people, um, so um, so if it if it is you know difficult um, you know uh, I- example. Um, you know uh and sometimes when we talk about trauma we didn't really talk about that ahead of time but it's kind of coming to me that sometimes when we talk about trauma and 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 we, we you know start talking about this stuff it can it can really set us off or or you know bring some distress into the nervous system and so you know it's important for people to to know they can always pause you know and um seek a resource or uh seek a friend or have some support you know as 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 we're learning about this stuff and um you know i have resources all around me right now that i can uh um be able to kind of support my nervous system and kind of metabolizing some of um you know this learning and whatnot so i'm just gonna kind of preface with that that
0: so just for layman's terms this is like a minor trigger warning
1: it's a minor trigger warning yes yes Yes. but i mean
0: that that is you know part and parcel with this work you Mm -hmm. know um so yeah anybody who's listening um i'm not really sure what the reference is I, i get it i have an inclination but if you have something that might trigger you um, just a word of caution, but I'm sure Nick, you'll do a, a good job of keeping it, you know,
1: totally. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Totally. You know, and, 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 and to each their to their own, right. Some, sometimes, you know, certain examples doesn't bother people and sometimes yeah, it, yeah. we're all different. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so, you know, uh um, so on some level, you know, we need to be responsible for just caring for our nervous system and, you yeah. know, honoring our pace and, And so, you know, the example is like, um, like in in a war type setting, you know, or or something like that. And let's say there's a loud sound that goes off, you know. And so, so here, here is my nervous system. um, And you know, let's say, like to the right of me, uh, wherever, you know, to the west. Let's say to the west, there's a um, a loud sound that goes off. And so, instinctually, when there's a novelty in the environment, uh, my nervous system orients to figure out where it's coming from, and and that's instinctual. I don't think about it. So if this is to the right of me, then my neck might turn, you know, to the right, and you know, start orienting to figure out where it's coming from. You know, wh- wh- what's going on? You know, um, am I okay? Is there a threat? Do I need to, you know, do I need to defend? Do I need to run away? Do I need to fight? Like you know. Um, and so that that's the very first part of the threat response is orienting, you know, or, or actually there's this startle. We kind of, you know, there's this arrest and startle. So I might actually like, you know, uh, you know, hold my breath and constrict. And there's this arrest and startle, and then we actually move into that defensive orienting. Um, but let's say that let's the sounds really close and it's like a blast of some sort. And so my arms then come up to maybe protect my head Um, and you know because we have once again instinctual uh, need to protect the brain it's a very important organ and so um, so we have this orienting where it's coming from and then we have our arms coming up to protect our head so the point being here is that both of those are completely involuntary i don't think about it so and this will really kind of help highlight kind of what we're talking about with sensation Um, So think about this as it's mobilization of energy. Energy is getting mobilized in the system to respond to the threat. That's kind of what we call fight or flight. It's energy is getting mobilized. So that might be in the eyes dilate and, and and the pupils get bigger to bring in more light information. You know, uh, the muscles might constrict and tense to ready and prepare for action. Blood moves into you know usually the the extremities, the arms, legs, and um, the hands and arms. Um, and the the heart speeds up and accelerates. You know, and so we're basically, you know that that fight or flight is basically energy getting mobilized to respond to a potential threat. And think about that mobilization of energy as these little packets of energy, little packets of instruction that pop out that's instructing the mobilization. So in this case, little packets of energy are popping out to instruct the fibers in the neck to turn to the right to orient, and then little packets of energy are instructing the the muscles and the ligaments in the arms to to you know uh, move upward, you know to protect the head, you know to kind of block block my head, um, and so what happens in trauma is that in this case just for the sake of example let's say that the blast was so big or so strong that the person kind of blacks out or it's just like it was too much too fast and they kind of you know kind of lose consciousness so what happens is that some of those packets of instructions that that popped out they got mobilized to respond to the threat to protect some of those packets of energy instructions didn't get a chance to complete right so some of them did because my neck started to turn to the right and some of them did because my arms started to come up to protect my head but maybe some of the because it happened so fast uh and it was so quick and so in this case i blacked out other times and this is a whole other thing we can get into later but sometimes the frontal lobes the human brain will override the more instinctual mechanisms the more instinctual responses and kind of turn them off like we'll override it turn them off um so whatever happens either because i it was too much too fast and i i blacked out or because of the override of the human brain but for whatever reason some of this mobilized energy these packets of instruction didn't get a chance to complete and it got stuck right and this is my whole point is that that is what we call trauma so trauma is not the event that happened trauma is the energy that had gotten mobilized and during the threat to respond and protect, but didn't get a chance to complete. It didn't get a chance to fully move through. And so it gets stuck. It gets bound in the system. And that's what we call trauma because that stuck energy then impacts us, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, in all these different levels and layers. Wow.
0: So in the somatic experiencing um, practice, what do you do to work with these stuck energies and these sensations? Because I imagine um, that this is kind of like a reoccurring uh, phenomena for the person who has the trauma. And I've heard it described as um, it's, it's like they're reliving the thing always (laughs) right because they never completed it so when something triggers that say um, someone was in war and experienced the blast that you're talking about say fast forward to the fourth of july when he's back home those fireworks going off his physiology animates in the same exact way that it did when that blast originally went off and then it sends him into the space of disconnection from his surroundings right
1: right right that's exactly it you know and and that's what's re- really bizarre and really hard to understand for people you know um for those who who have experienced trauma and are trying to understand themselves and what's going on and those that are trying to understand you know um, people in their life that might have experienced trauma and and um you know just understanding you know our reactions to stress and things and Um, but that's exactly it. It, it, what happens is that the body, the nervous system gets really confused about what's happening right now versus what happened in the past. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's like, it's continuing to relive in the present moment. It's like, it's like it's happening right now. And that's why I gave that hand metaphor earlier, because it really kind of is helpful because once again. That amygdala, that's like you know scrolling the emails, right? Let's say I just like walk into a grocery store and um, s- someone's wearing a red shirt, and my perpetrator, you know, um, you know, maybe I had a difficult you know traumatic event, and, and the perpetrator's wearing a red shirt, and the amygdala flags it, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, emotionally charged experience. That reminds me, you know, and then the the survival, you know, so now I'm having this full blown panic attack. In the grocery store and i have no idea why you know and then i blame myself you know that you know or society unfortunately sometimes labels us as weak or you know i'm not choosing you know to um you know or i just need to take a big breath and you know and um all these different you know there's shame attached to, that's what yeah. i'm trying to say and, the
0: damaging word
1: crazy yeah you know, which we should right. really get out of our vocabulary <laughs> totally totally man yeah you know and and, it, and and this education helps because it it opens up the portal for compassion as well you know through that understanding mm-hmm. but but this is it it's it's that the amygdala flags something you know, it reminds me of something in the past. And that's why we've been getting away from the word trigger, actually. Oh, and my bad. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Well, it's important that we're talking about yeah, it because yeah. this is the part of the education. And and trigger is embedded into our vocabulary. And I kept on wanting to say it multiple times and I kept on trying to find different ways to say it, but <laughs> it's hard. Um, but you know, trigger actually uh, is like a is like a war uh a connotation it's like a veteran you know uh um and 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 so trigger can be a trigger word for certain people right uh and and so so what we're trying to reframe and this is really important that we're talking about it um is that we're uh sometimes i say you know i get set off or i get i got reminded you know I, it was like a sensory reminder or something or i got set off meaning that the amygdala flagged something and the lid got flipped and the survival brain takes over. AKA I got reminded or I got set off and you know, AKA I got triggered. And yeah. so now I'm having this full blown panic attack in the store and my body's having a hard time noticing what's happening now versus what's happening in the past. And, um, and so two, two quick things, I'm going to flip it back to you. Cause I don't want to, you know, get too tangential, but like, The idea here is once again, that's why sensory based tools are helpful. And so we can give people, you know, in in the therapy context, you know, or in workshops, you know, that, that I do and whatnot, teach people these very basic sensory tools that they can use to help bring that regulation to the brainstem to help the brainstem differentiate. Like that happened in the past and right now I'm actually okay. I can actually like recognize cues of safety you know if i'm safe because because that's the other thing i might not be in a safe place and i might need to get out of there and and seek safety or i might need to have supportive people with me so that's a whole other thing but but if i'm in the therapy office and and i might actually be completely safe but you know my i'm having this reminder and you know my nervous system is moving into this fight or flight so what happens in a session well, so that's one 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 piece is it's giving people t- sensory tools, sensory based skills to support themselves when they're just out and about or they're at work, where they just need to regulate themselves to come back into integration. But in a in a therapy setting, you know, we can explore and slow down what's happening in the nervous system, and. You know and this is through titration you know we go very slowly and there's a there's a very gentle pace so we're not overwhelming and re-traumatizing but but the idea here is that the symptoms like meaning that you know maybe i'm processing something and you know i have some muscle tension my my neck is locking up or my chest got really tight or i'm talking and my hands are up, like I'm saying, stop, you know, or back off or something. My hands are talking like whatever the nervous system is doing in the present moment as I'm talking, like, cause, cause in a therapy session, I'm not technically interested in what happened back then in your nervous system. What I'm more interested in is what's happening right now in the present moment in your body, you know, as we're processing this, you know, what's happening right now. And, and, you know, and the more I can kind of slow down and track, like tracking is basically being able to pay attention to bodily sensations, you know, and how bodily sensations change over time, you know, I'm you know, so I might notice some tightness in the chests and then maybe I pay attention to it or offer some support and then maybe it starts to soften or change into something else or transform. But the idea here is that if you get really present with the nervous system in the present moment and, and there's enough support that's the other thing is that you know i think it's uh bessel van der Kolk who says that um a very basic definition of trauma is the inability to be in the present moment yeah r- right and because when i'm reliving that you know i'm not in the present moment anymore you know and so and the present moment is actually very scary and it can bring up a lot of stuff and so You know, that's why sometimes in uh, yoga or meditation settings, you know, uh, people can access big energy, you know, or even right afterward. Um, And then they don't have the tools to support themselves because that slowing down and coming in the present moment actually might, they might actually come into contact with some bound energy there. And so that's why we titrate and we can kind of talk about that if we want, you know, this word titrate. Um, But the idea here is that the, the very symptoms of, of is actually providing the roadmap to healing. And, you know, the medical paradigm is like, we got to get rid of the symptoms. Let's, you know, let's, you know, through medication or, you know, uh, injecting or, you know, intervention to get rid of symptoms. But in the somatic world, we're very curious of how these symptoms are, are, we don't really call them symptoms, you know, um, as sort of sort of an outdated word. It's, it's more like we, we call it, um, sometimes we call it an incomplete protective response, you know, meaning that if I slow down in the present moment and I start noticing my neck starts twitching and tightening or my arms are starting to like twitch or tighten or something starts to happen. If I really start paying attention and I slow way down and I feel safe enough and there's enough support, and I have enough capacity and this available to me, right? Without, you know, pushing too hard. We're not trying to overwhelm people, but then I can slow down and pay attention to those sensations and allow it to play out. And we can create a safe enough condition and, and create the time for, for this to complete and move through, Yeah, you know, sure. so that stuck energy then can come through and complete and then. You know, we can kind of restore into balance, and the system can kind of recalibrate. Mm. Um, and so, if I'm just trying to, you know, relax people every time they get distressed, I might miss the the blueprint for healing and what's needed for healing. Wow. And so, in the somatic world, we're actually trying to create a context where we can al- allow the person to feel safe enough and supported to have this this protect, protection response to actually organize and for them to have enough capacity for this chart for, for the for them to feel the charge because in the past it was too much too fast or it was not safe enough mm. so in the present moment we're we're trying to create the conditions that allow them to feel safe enough and allow them to have enough capacity to actually be in the present moment so something can kind of actually come up and move through and so sometimes i might have to actually feel worse before i feel better
0: right Um, which is very much against the western paradigm where it's you spend the money then you get the results and you have very little to do with it because it's a service that you're paying for right so it seems like the goal of a lot of this work is to complete that unfinished action then is that kind of what i'm picking up
1: yes yes well especially in somatic experiencing right um because you know there's we tapped a little bit into it earlier in this, in the, in the podcast about developmental trauma and developmental trauma is, you know, the accumulation of, 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 of you know, life events or, or like you were saying, you know, maybe I grew up in a family of, and I wasn't supported in having an expression of certain feeling states or, you know, um, uh, certain needs weren't getting met and so developmental work you know can can be much different so we're kind of differentiating in in this case the difference between shock trauma and developmental trauma yeah although developmental trauma can be a series of shocks you know cuz right, cuz right. not getting your needs met and um, things like that can can be a shock to a developing nervous system but but specifically in somatic experiencing this is important um, you know, that you know, we can work with things like car accidents and falls and, you know, assaults and 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 things that um, um, were just, you know, kind of a shock to this and, 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 or medical procedures, you know, going under anesthesia or things that we don't often think of trauma, you know. Yeah. Like I ask people, I've even asked myself, do I have any trauma? I'm like, no, I'm good. I, you know, I don't think so. I'm all right. And then you think about it, it's like wow. I actually had that car accident. You know, I had that, you know, medical person. I fell. I played a lot of sports. <laughs> I would dive on the ground, you know, yeah. to get the basketball or stuff or get into a collision. Um, and those things can actually be shocks to the nervous system, you know, yeah. and, and we can have bound energy from that. So,
0: yeah, I can see how the body wouldn't be able to differentiate between, um, the fun of playing a game like if you're getting tackled in football you know that kind of creates a nervous system that's always kind of on edge or maybe even associates like running or heightened energy with getting tackled you know so i could see how that would um play into that Damn. so um i don't know if you have answered it directly but how does somatic experiencing play out in a session and how do you slowly ease people into this state so that they can healthfully uh, express this bound energy? Like, what does it actually look like when people come to you and someone had a car accident and they're not fully um, whole because of that? What is what is the process? What does that look like?
1: Totally, yeah, great question. Um, very important question. So, yeah, so I'm gonna go all the way back to the very beginning of the podcast and we were talking yeah. about the river. Yeah. Right. Good. And, you know, and so once again, this river represents like that the flow of life, you know, being engaged, being present, being having access to my best self, you know. And we talked about how uh that shock is kind of like that lightning coming in and and disrupting that flow and then the the energy of the river is getting sucked up into that trauma vortex so we call it the trauma vortex of of now my life force energy is getting sucked up and and once again the the more i move into that trauma vortex that's when more intensity you know whether it's more panic or just you know shaking or um it's, it's just really intense and then it I hit the center and it's just so much it's just too much i can't bear it and then i freeze or i numb i dissociate so so what we're trying to do in this somatic approach and, and 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 mind you too that trauma vortex has such a strong pull right for a lot of people just a like a little reminder you know or a little trigger or something is enough to you know, just pull them right into the center of it. So it's really fast energy. Like, underneath, especially, you, we actually live in a disembodied culture. <laughs> you can imagine, yeah. right? That's yeah. why well I'm um, doing the podcast. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, it's like, it's just kind of where we are. Our, our culture all together is very heady, heady, disembodied. And so, underneath that disembodiment, underneath the disassociation, is a lot of bound up energy a lot of uh intense energy so when you actually get people to start coming into their body and coming into the present moment they actually start accessing big energy and it's it's interesting because when i work with people um you know they might say man i'm doing worse like you know i'm having this increased anxiety or i'm having um, you know, uh, these flashbacks or I'm having, you know, hopefully we're going so slow enough. And that's the key is going slow enough and titrate, which this might be a good time to talk about titration. Um, but the idea here is that that might mean that we're healing because when we come underneath that disassociation, that, that, dis, you know, come into the body, it's a lot of bound up energy. And so we're going to start coming to contact with it. And, so that's why um, in the model, remember where I talked about Peter Levine and that, that little leaf went into the center of the vortex and disappeared and they came up somewhere else? Yeah. That is what we call the counter vortex. That leaf emerged uh, in the counter vortex, meaning that in physics, there's always a counter vortex. There's always um, this opposite, this pole. And in fact, there's this really cool video on YouTube. Uh, it's like a little kid science experiment. Uh, I would have to find the link, but they create a vortex in a swimming pool somehow with this instrument, this tool, and they drop food coloring into it. So you can see the, the vortex spinning. And then literally there's a counter vortex that gets created and the two vortices are connected like a tube of energy connects one vortex to the other. They're literally connected together there's always a counter vortex Mm -hmm. so so that's how you know peter levine you know um this this is what the somatic uh experiencing works all about is um you know getting really curious of this counter vortex so once again if you have a piece of paper and you draw horizontally uh you know this this river across the center of the page and then at top you say uh, there's there's the uh, the trauma vortex, you know, that that can suck the energy up into that. Then then there is a counter vortex on the bottom. You know, you can drill however you want, but this is the way I draw it. But there's this counter vortex on the other side of the of the bank, on the other, on the other bank, on the other side of the river. Yeah. There's a yeah. counter vortex. So this counter vortex, sometimes we call it the resourcing vortex. But it's it's what counters it's what stabilizes the the energy. So, in the counter vortex, it could be anything from like um, my yoga practice to my self care, you know, tools, and uh, it could be you know maybe I have a close relationship to my family or really you know uh, endearing friends that are very supportive. It could just be you know I'm blessed to have you know food in the fridge that's nutritious it could be, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, secure shelter, uh, reliable shelter. Uh, it could be, um, you know, spiritual community, right? Like, so now we're getting into the, yeah. you know, all this, like, you know, uh, the community stuff or the, these are resources, right? Re- resources are different for everybody. I can't mm-hmm. tell you what a resource is and what's not a resource. Um, I can't tell you, you know, if, if that, um, Is a part of the you know the trauma vortex or that's part of the resourcing vortex for you like we're all different but the idea here is at the beginning of a therapy process i'm not really sure exactly what somebody's capacity is just yet you know i'm just getting to know them they're just getting to know me and so i lean in the direction of building resources right the best way and the most accessible way to come into the present moment is through resourcing right re, 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 and once again if we really kind of define well let me ask you <laughs> uh like what what does resourcing mean to you like a resource like how, how do you how do you would you language that
0: mmm I guess uh, for me, I, I think a lot of it kind of determine, is determined based on what your value system is and the things that you place importance on. In my personal life, I think my resources are primarily uh, my community, I think are the biggest ones I know when I'm going through a difficult experience. I'm a very verbal processor, uh, maybe to a fault, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I'm always reaching out for my friends when I'm actually going under times of duress. Um, that and food. (laughs) Um, actually, um, at the start of quarantine, I know, uh, we talked about, um, my first episode with the flow practice, um, before we started this, but that has actually been one of my big resources is having a physical practice that brings me into my body when I'm feeling tense. Um, so I will verbally process it, but then the resource being the energy to be able to ground myself in a actual practice, to me that has been one of the most profound and stabilizing um, aspects of my life. And it's very like recent new thing and it's maybe like the the framework that I'm even able to build this podcast on, like without that physical practice, I I don't think I'd be operating nearly to the same level. So I think, um, yeah, I guess uh, my wellness and my community probably my, my greatest resources
1: totally yeah uh, yeah no doubt man yeah and that's awesome that that you have access to that and and yeah I agree hundred percent you know both of those and, and especially that practice you know and and everybody can you know have their own practice you know like yeah. my practice might be different than your practice and and that's mm-hmm. really beautiful and um, you know and so can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, well, that um, was a question. Yeah. I, would,
0: I didn't uh, mean to be that guy.
1: <laughs> well, no, it's perfect though. I'm going to ask you a question about your response to the question. Yeah. <laughs> right? like, yeah. Um, yeah. Because, because um, this is what's interesting is resourcing is different for everybody. And, and I um, am, am wondering if it would be okay uh, to ask you if, you know, so as you're thinking about those resources for you, uh, the things that you just mentioned, your wellness practice, your the community. and And maybe, you know, as you're thinking about it, you're maybe thinking about particular examples or maybe there's an image of you or a memory of you or just allowing your focus to kind of go wherever it goes right now in the context of resourcing. And as you, you know, connect with that, what starts to happen inside? Like, is there anything that starts changing in the body or the biology as you start to notice
0: I think the first immediate thought I mean both of those things when I thought of community as a resource I thought of an event that happened a couple years ago that was really damaging to my nervous system Mm -hmm. maybe one of the most in my adult life and the state that it brought me in was um, I was a mess I was uh, you know um, just tension throughout the entire body I couldn't stop crying my thoughts were racing my heart was beating and I was able to connect with one of my really good friends and um, just the space that she was able to hold for me to express mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. It, it was, there's a sensation of like getting something off my chest, so to speak. So mm-hmm. that sensation was um, lightness. Right. Um, so I think like lightness is a big thing. Um, and as for like the physical practice, I think of an upswell of energy throughout my body. Mm-hmm. Um, because by the end of it, you are very clear, concise, um, and light, um, but you're also very energized. So, um, energy, like energized and light are the two sensations I would associate with those.
1: Yeah, no, it's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it sounds like she was a very important support and resource in that, in that time for you. And, um, and can you get a sense in this moment, if this feels okay to answer, uh, just where that lightness or that sense of energy shows up the most, if it has a location?
0: I think it's around my heart. Mm-hmm. And it might have also been related to the event itself was a very heart-based um, kind of thing. So yeah, it was it was my, my upper thoracic cavity, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I feel like with the energy, um, like from the wellness, I feel it from the base of my spine mm-hmm. and it, that, that's like a full, um, uh, full like chest feeling. Whereas, uh, the support my friend gave me was strictly in my heart.
1: I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah isn't that interesting? Different resources can show up different places in the body if you're tracking it. Yeah. 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 And it's really, really helpful to have different kinds of resources and to notice the different effect that it has. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and so, and thank you for that. I know we're kind of improvising there, kind of talking about resourcing, but, but I, I kind of just wanted to, um, do like a little experiential thing, you know, to kind of name that, like we're getting curious of how resources land in the body. Whoa, right? (laughs) Are you somatic experiencing me right now? Because that was happening. (laughs) And, and and hopefully, if you safe to 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 do that. And, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. Of course, I trust yeah. you. Yeah. You know, and um, well, it's just one of those things. Is you know, sometimes when we talk about this stuff, it can become very abstract, right? Yeah. And and yeah. very um, uh, heady. <laughs> yeah. And so and 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 so I was I was kind of answering your question in an experiential way, which is yeah. thematic work yeah. is experiential, mm-hmm. that we're learning through experience and. Um, you know, I do a lot of psychoeducation in a session, you know, setting up the model, explaining trauma, you know, helping people understand the nervous system and, you know, but where somatic experiencing makes the most impact is through the experiential piece, you yeah. know, learning through experience and You know, and, and so this is kind of it, this is kind of answering your question is that when I come into a session for the, for the first time, and even for the second time, third time, 10th time, 20th time, like, uh, you know, usually I'm very, very aware of, um, what it might be a resource for somebody and, you know, um, and, and I'm going to pounce on that resource. I'm, I, you know, I, I, you know, cause we have this tendency in a ner- like our nervous system has this tendency. Um, we call it negativity bias. You, have, you ever heard of that negativity bias before?
0: I don't know. I don't think so.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, um, and I, it's funny. Cause I don't often like the, 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 the terminology neg- negative or positive in, in this sense, when we're talking about feelings and human experience, because in my bias, uh, there's no such thing as a negative feeling or a positive feeling it's just a feeling or it's just an h- experience it, 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 you know um, an element of of a human experience we just evaluate it as positive or negative yeah, yeah. um but the idea here is like i'll give you an example because this this will help the, I, this will really kind of i hope set the stage here and, and really kind of answer the in a, in a very hopefully practical way but i often times introduce negativity bias. Like if you if you think of like our ancestors, uh way back when, maybe like in hunter gathering times, and you know, and if I was like you know my ancestor way back when and I'm going down this trail and I encounter a den of lions, you know, as soon as I, you know, sense like, oh gosh, there's a lion right there. (laughs) I'm gonna get the heck out of there. Right. Like like that fight or flight. I'm gone, you know. Flight I'm, for sure. <laughs> flight for sure. No <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah. And hopefully, I'm like listening and present enough that I can notice it without being detected. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. like not um, let out, out, oh, shit. <laughs> right. Totally. Right. You know, and I, and I, if I'm hunting and gathering, I'm, I'm hopefully in this more receptive state. It kind of mm-hmm. brings online that our ancestors were probably way more in touch with their senses than, than we are sometimes in our day yeah. and age of oh, technology. Oh, very stuff. sure. Right. There were no cell phones to distract our yeah, attention yeah, and yeah. screens and dopamine <laughs> feedback right. loops that we're caught in. <laughs> right, uh, right, yeah. right. Um, totally you know uh, uh, worried about my bills uh, i have to pay my bills and uh, mm-hmm. you know i you know just uh, social when am i gonna post on social media and you know yeah. Yeah.
0: um the biggest one <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Totally. how do i get likes what's right. happening
1: totally yeah i gotta yeah. capture this you know these moments yeah. uh, you know yeah. on my you know uh, my device and so yeah. so the the point being is that right i'm gonna flight and i'm probably gonna go tell you know my tribe my community that hey don't go down that trail because there's a den of lions. So that negative event, and i put negative in quotes, um, and cause I call it in the literature, they call it negativity bias, but, but it's, it's a, it's something that was threatening, right? Mm -hmm. It was something that, that could jeopardize survival and we're wired to survive, we're wired to, you know, instinctually to survive thrive hopefully and and uh, continue the 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 gene flow the species and so i'm going to run back to the you know my my community and tell them hey you know don't go down that trail uh there's there's lions there and um and the point being is that experience that difficult threatening experience sticks to the nervous system like velcro i'll yeah. never forget that because if i forget it even for a second and go down that trail again i'm risking death yeah Right, yeah. and in fact, my my community, my uh, you know my neighbor, uh, they don't even have to experience themselves. Just me sharing the story is enough for them to know. Um, positive events, once again in quotes, positive experiences like where that beautiful sunset was or that uh, delicious blueberry bush, f- washes right off like Teflon, like yeah. m- meaning yeah. that if I forget the blueberry bush, I'll find another one. Or it's, it's, in other words, it's not jeopardizing survival. Got gotcha. you right so so the point being is we, we have this tendency in a nervous system to detect threat and and to not forget when there was a threat, you know and and then to avoid it at, you know at all cost and and, uh, and so so there's this uh, mechanism at play in every moment. Uh, we call it neuroception. this actually comes from Stephen Porges. Mm-hmm. so, where perception is conscious, you know, I'm gonna look around my space right now and, you know, there's that house plant, you know, or, you know, there's my bookshelf. Like that is, I, I can perceive that and it's conscious. I'm con- like conscious of that experience. Um, where neuroception is subconscious, it's it's below the surface, but it's always at play. So neuroception is the part of me, the part of you, the part of every human, mammal that is always detecting or scanning the environment to detect threat or safety and it's always at play because because if there's a threat you know we talked about this with the line like I want to be able to detect it quick so I can respond and mm-hmm. flight you know or fight or freeze and yeah. um, so so no matter where i'm at or what i'm doing this is always at play it's always going on neuroception in every moment and so when I'm sitting with a client in the counseling office, especially for the first session and, and really every other session, um, I'm aware that neuroceptions that play in me and neuroceptions that play in the client. And we have this bias to detect threat more often. Like, how to say that? Like, like I'm more apt to detect a threat when there's really not a threat just in case there was a threat. Yeah. Yeah. versus if there is a threat and i miss it you know then then i'm i'm i might risk right death or you know my survival but but if i you know have my bias on the side of detecting threats even if there's not a threat just in case there is a threat you know i, it, I you know it that bias might help me stay alive more because you kind of get what i'm saying I, with yeah, that yeah yep yeah. 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 so so, the point being here is that our bias is to find a threat, and um and what happens is that um well here here's what neuroception's doing it's what's happening it's it's gathering information from my body, it's gathering information from the environment, and it's gathering information from the relational field, and then we assess you know safety or threat and once again, it's not all or none it's there's yeah. there's this gray area. Yeah. But the, you know, the point being is that, you know, if there's distress in my body, you know, like tension in the heart, uh, my, my stomach and knots, then it signals to the brain that I'm not okay. There must be a threat. So the brain moves into that mode. Where's the threat? Where's the threat? And the brain will find the threat. Or if it can't, it, it might even just make up the threat. It, it, we might just manufacture a story to prove that there's a threat. And so nonetheless, either my brain finds a threat or makes up a threat, which sends signals back down to the body that says threat. And then the body moves into more distress. So it's like a feedback loop. A feedback loop, right? Yep, yep. Which right creates those signals back up, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm more, so that's it. So so that's what I'm well aware of when I'm working with people is that feedback loop. Mm. And, and so and to know know that 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 trauma vortex is very strong, where we can get really sucked up in there very quick. And I don't know somebody's capacity right away. So I'm leaning in on that resourcing vortex as much as possible and helping slow down you know, what, what a what a resource might be, you know, by asking them, like I asked you, you know, what are some resources? Or just by orienting to the room. I have like lots of, um, I have a beautiful bookshelf with like, you know, decorations, things that I find resourceful, but I, I try to have a variety of things that people might be able to connect to that might feel yeah. resourceful. Um, because what we're trying to do is once again, it's a lot easier to be in the body and to be in the present tense when we're processing or attending to something more resourceful
0: yeah yeah
1: and it's a lot more difficult to be in the body and to stay in the body when we're processing something difficult
0: yeah so essentially you're utilizing resources as a tool to be able to create a counter vortex to so you're slowly getting them into a space where they're feeling their trauma but then you're utilizing the tools of the resources to like ebb and like pull back and forth between
1: the two vortexes yeah that's that's a really good way of saying it totally because because the the um the idea is we call it pendulation um we're kind of pendulating uh from yeah one vortex to the other vortex meaning that you know so the i because here's the thing is that um Uh, singularities aren't stable right so when I'm in the singularity of the trauma vortex that's not stable I'm not in the flow of life anymore I'm not in that river and if I'm in the center of the resourcing vortex I'm also not in the flow of life yeah Yeah. right like because once again like we're drawing these vortex vortices on the banks and and right the flow of life's in the middle there so So, if I, you know, this is just an example, but if I sit in Vipassana meditation for three years straight, um, then Then I might not be in the flow of life. Like, I might have the capacity to do that. And then that might be super beautiful. You go out into the woods for three years and sit in Vipassana, and I might learn a whole bunch. And my life might have capacity for that. But if I have kids to feed and I have, you know, bills to pay or things that are necessary for my survival or my thriving or my valued living, the direction I want to live in and what I stand for, then, you know, laying in Savasana or sitting in Vipassana for, forever <laughs> might not be yeah. i might not be in the flow yeah right is that kind
0: of where uh like spiritual bypassing comes in
1: it definitely can be yeah because okay. because it's you know because that's it it's like that like i i want to feel good and i'm kind of bypassing anything that's difficult yeah and i'm just going back to you know um yeah, just whatever whatever feels good, or just to keep relaxing, and that's why some some people actually, and this is very interesting. Is you know, I've I've worked with people, I've I've heard this from colleagues and people in the field that they had to unlearn like a, a mindfulness or meditation practice because um, what they realized was when they sat in mindfulness or meditation, they were actually escaping the present tense; they were going somewhere else. And, you know, that might've felt really safe and, you know, felt like I was like floating and I uh, felt really good and it gave me a break from the stress of life. And it was like, you know, really, you know, might've brought me some peace and tranquility, but, but I was leaving myself. I was yeah. leaving the body in order to access that. And then I'm training myself to do that. And so what we're help training people to do, are, our intention is to come into the body, into the present mm-hmm. moment. And. And to be able to, you know, so, so the idea then is that if, if I invite somebody to dip into a resource or attend to a resource, um, for one, it might be really challenging for people too, because once again, the bias is to go into the, you know, the negativity bias, what's difficult, you know, it's like, Nicholas, I, I hear you talking about resources. I'm trying to tell you this difficult story here you know, and, and so it's actually sometimes we call it chasing resilience that I'm, I'm trying to pounce on the, the, what's of resource and get that to land and to see, you know, you know, it's like, so here's just an example, like, um, you know, I have this, uh, beautiful salt lamp, uh, Himalayan salt lamp in in my office and, and, and this like painting above it. And there's this beautiful light in the corner and a lot of people will contact it. like I really like that salt lamp and that glow and you know and I'm like yeah what do you like about it you know tell me what you like about it you know and and I just get them to keep sinking into it and as you notice what you like about it what happens inside oh yeah well I kind of notice my shoulders starting to relax and ah this like exhale comes in I'm like oh let's notice that that was a nice exhale you know as you notice that exhale what happens next yeah well I kind of just notice a sense of like peacefulness kind of coming in and you know and so we're kind of dipping into that resourcing vortex
0: okay okay.
1: right we're kind of dipping into that counter vortex Mm -hmm. and the idea here and this is what's different in somatic experiencing is that if i stay there and once again it depends on the nervous system i'm working with because that might just be what's needed to hang out there and um you know but a lot of times like if i spend the whole session just resourcing them and hanging out with feels good. And, you know, then they, you know, they, they leave the session at the end. They're like, wow, I feel really good, Nicholas. This just feels great. It feels so peaceful and I could just go to sleep and, you know, but what's probably going to happen is when they leave the session, this is what happens in yoga. A lot of times too, they leave the, the yoga studio. And then all of a sudden their nervous system contracts back up and a lot of stuff starts coming up. You know, because what happened is we kind of open them up, you know, and 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 then this like trauma emerges, like difficulty comes in, or the system then rebounds and contracts a lot harder. Yeah. Um so if you have a big expansion, you know, in this case of resourcing, then then there might be a big contraction afterward.
0: Yeah. It's almost like you don't really want to bring them into the center of the vortex of their resource. Um, But you want to be able to, like, ease in because, like, I mean, if you're using, like, the law of, like, the polarity, the more strong one vortex exactly. gets the stronger the other one gets so yep. it's not about like bringing them to that center and like isn't this great don't you love this <laughs> and then they leave and then they're like no i'm miserable right <laughs> you know?
1: right and then they say this isn't working and you know yeah. i feel worse and that's it you said that very well that that's exactly it and and so to me this is my metaphor it's like to me it's like i'm going skiing you know that's what it feels like because i'm i'm dipping into the the counter vortex you know dipping in and then i then dip into the you know the difficult vortex for a second and then i dip back into so that's what we call pendulation pendulation is actually uh cycles of activation and then deactivation yeah, activation mm-hmm. then deactivation like activation being like arousal yep, yep. you know and then whew, deactivation and pendulation is the ultimate resource like in fact it's innate it's it's what our nervous system designed to do and it's what is it wants to do like that's why we trust the body's natural wisdom yeah yeah right is we're trying to bring that back online it wants to come back online it just gets stuck
0: isn't that uh the measure of that called heart rate variability um the ability for the nervous system to activate and then let go is that what that is
1: it it, heart rate it's a it's a very interesting variable to track uh right and 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 in fact what is it the the more um what is it the more differentiation in the heart uh like the the more um variability there is the the more um i think it's linked to the more like resiliency or or, um health there is like yeah so there is a sense of the you want variability you know you want because it kind of builds resilience and
0: if you don't have the variability then it'll get stuck and then it won't be able to uh, go between the both aspects fluidly Pace. Right.
1: That's it. Right. And that's it. right. Cause what's interesting is when you, when you take an inhale, it actually is, um, uh, speeding up the heart. And when you take an exhale, it's slowing down the heart, putting a break on mm-hmm. the heart. Um, that's why it's so interesting, but in somatic work, I don't focus on inhales. I don't say, Hey, let's take a deep breath. Or when, when a client is actually, uh, uh you know experiencing an anxiety attack like you don't want to take a deep breath because yeah, it's yeah. actually going to speed the heart up mm-hmm. and it's going to create this you know a variable of oxygen that actually creates a sympathetic spike you yep. know, arousal yep. spike so we actually focus on that exhale sometimes because it's it's slowing the system down and and mm-hmm. a lot of times in trauma that's what we're, we're trying to get the system to learn how to do because the idea is can i so, so if I'm, so if I'm in the stream, so, so we'll take the river down to a stream where it's slower, it's more shallow. Right. And, and like, he, he, cause here's how slow that we're, we're going like, well, and before I say that, may, maybe if it's okay, like just really quickly talk about titration mm-hmm. and, and so Peter Levine borrows the word titration from chemistry, um, how I understand it. And. So in chemistry, if you have an acid and a base, a particular acid and base, I can't think of the name right now on the top of my head. Um, I'm not a chemist. But <laughs> with, with this acid and base, if you combine them together all at once, phew, kablooey, hazardous, destructive. Like You don't want to do that. You know, you'll burn down the lab. <laughs> they tell you don't do that. But if you take one drop of that acid and you drop it into the base, there's a fizzle, shh, and then it settles. Then you take another drop and you put it in and there's a fizzle there's an activation but then it settles right that one drop at a time is what we call titration and with this very very particular acid and base what what happens is that if you keep titrating salt builds around the edges and uh, like it and water starts forming it turns into a saline salt water solution which is the building blocks of life Mm. So you have the same ingredients combined all at once that is very destructive. But through titration, not only does it remain stable, but it turns into the building blocks of life. Wow. You know? And, and so the point being is that beaker is a container. And so you're having just enough, a titrated drop, just enough activation, fizzle, but it's not overwhelming the beaker. You know, it's mm. not sp- bubbling out. You know, it's it's just the container can contain it. You know, like in other words, the nervous system has the capacity to be present with this amount of stimulation, and then there is a settling that can happen.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and and so that's kind of what we're doing is that we're we're slowing things way 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 down, and we're uh, you know so the me- the metaphor is like you know if I'm in a stream, and um, let's say way down the stream is a is a waterfall and but i'm far enough upstream that i'm completely safe and in fact i can barely hear it <laughs> um, and in fact i'm safely on the bank like this is kind of a different metaphor <laughs> together uh, similar but different but i'm on the bank i'm safe i'm fully rooted i'm grounded i'm stable and then it's like i start looking toward the waterfall and and that represents tr- trauma it's difficult and so maybe we slow things down enough where i'm not even i'm not even in the, in the the water yet uh like i'm way upstream i'm just turning to look that okay yeah there's some difficult stuff over there and then i look back i'm safe resource and then maybe i build up enough resiliency enough capacity that i can go and i put my big toe in the water when i put my big toe in the water i'm far enough upstream that i'm actually safe but i can feel that pull of the Mm -hmm. waterfall just a little bit right and then i put my big toe back out of the water. I'm safely on the bank, you know, I'm, I'm resource. I'm on the resourcing side of the bank. And, um, but eventually I, through titration, maybe I get to the point I can put both feet in the water and like, Whoa, this is wobbly. You know, I can feel the pull of the, that trauma vortex, but I can stay present to this experience. I have mm-hmm. enough capacity to track it. And then when I need to take a break, you know, I can, I can take a step back out, put both feet back on land and so that's kind of what we're trying to do is you know to build enough capacity enough capacity to be in the present moment that i can feel the edges of that trauma vortex that pull without without getting swooped up in it Mm. just to sense it and feel it you know and then honor my limit honor my capacity and then and then either naturally because what wants to happen is like the the counter vortex just opens up automatically like, and I'll, like, I'll dip into some difficulty just for a few moments. And then an exhale comes in, you know, or I put my hand on my heart and find resources naturally, innately. And then a resource comes in and there's a, there's a deactivation. Or if needed, I can call upon a resource, um, you know, uh, voluntarily. Like I can, you know, just turn my attention to an internal or external resource to get my system to deactivate. But the idea is we're doing these really small pendulation cycles. To feel a little bit of that pull, of the trauma vortex, but then to get it to deactivate, to pendulate back, and then to pendulate back towards something difficult, you know, and then um, and then slowly, you know, through pendulation, I can handle more and more charge, more and more energy, mm. and I can, and so sometimes to get to the deeper trauma, the bigger trauma, I have to have enough capacity, I have to be able to tolerate or have enough uh, space in the system to to be with enough charge for trauma to become renegotiated. Hmm. Um,
0: so it's almost like, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the simple act of bearing witness to that uh, that vortex or that traumatic pull, it's the bearing witness to that suffering. It naturally heals itself just by being able to be present and find a sense of stillness within while feeling it. Is that kind of...
1: Yeah. So that's a really great way of putting it. Um, and, and once again, I, I go right back to the very beginning of our conversation with, with, the uh, the, the flow of the river back to vitality, right? Yeah. All the way back to vitality. And we talked about that, that, you know, that stream of energy, that flow of life. And then we talked about those really secure banks, those boundaries, the, the container, and we talked about the, um, you know, community and our relationships. This what we call co-regulation, you know, um, mm-hmm. that creates a sense of containment and support and bank. And then we talked about our biology, our body. And um, so, so you're 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 on point. That the, the idea here is that I'm learning, um, and this is can be very slow work. And then sometimes it can be also you know like. Um, it can happen spontaneously and, and everybody has a different capacity and different experiences. Mm-hmm. So it could be over the course of many months or years, or it could just be in a matter of a few sessions, like, but, but the idea here is, yeah, I'm learning to be with that difficulty that, um, you know, so, so let's get, let's get, let's make it practical here. Let, like, let's talk about an example. So let's say, oh, okay, here we go. This, this would be helpful. Um, let's say I start feeling sadness. Um, and, and for me, I'm curious what it's like for you, but for me, I start feeling sadness, um, in my heart and I start feeling it rise up, you know, coming into the back of my eyes and I start feeling the tear ducts kick in and, you know, and this energy that wants to come up and through the eyes, you know, almost like I'm going to cry. Um, and, but (laughs) what's interesting is, and this is, you know, uh, um, I would say, um, so what's, what's very natural for the nervous system to do, and Freud, I think, said this all the way back when, is we have this instinctual tendency to seek pleasure and avoid pain, something like that. It's so a simplicity. Yeah. Yeah. But so the idea here is that anything that's unpleasant, the nervous system actually defends against it. So, when this sadness starts to come in or get moved, or I either hit a pocket or I talk about something, you know, and all of a sudden this pocket of sadness starts to get activated. Like, so there's this energy coming up. Uh, but then my nervous system's like, ah, oh, that's a lot. Or like, I don't know if I want to cry right now. Or I don't know if, you know, for me, like, I, um, you know, I, my nervous system doesn't like to cry around other people you know it yeah. depends on the company i'm in yeah. you know and but there's usually this part of me that keeps it in check keeps mm-hmm. it back right and then only that you can feel that constriction right that tightness in the chest yeah. and in yeah. the throat and the yeah. shoulders yeah so that constriction is actually the nervous system defending against something uncomfortable and pleasant, which is completely natural mm. it's it's innate And, um, so, um, so one way, you know, uh, is that we can support, we can support the sadness and I can support the defense. So one thing I could do is I could bring my hand to my heart and, in this case, I like support some of that defense. Like my nervous system is working really hard right now to keep that back and keep that down and at bay. So maybe I come here and support some of that defense, some of that protection. And and my, you know, my chest and shoulders are like, wow, okay, there's some support here. You know, like Nicholas, like, okay, you, you, I feel this sense of containment, sense of support. And then the defense is like, maybe I don't have to work so hard. Right now, maybe I can back off. Maybe I can soften a little bit and and when things start to soften, maybe the sadness can rise and has more room or space to move freely now right and and so um, so one of my somatic teachers his name is Raja Selvum uh, and he, he's been teaching somatic experiencing for like 25 years or something like wow. that a long time yeah. and um, and he actually started his own uh, modality uh, called I think it's called in- integral somatic psychology um, and uh, it's really cool but he talks about this expansion technique which is that um, and I'm hoping that I'm answering your question I think I am but but the idea here it, it is it's just kind of in a contextual way but yeah the idea yeah. here is that let's say sadness is in my heart and it's starting to rise but the body's like oh you know constricts it tightens squeezes it so what happens is the sadness it all gets stuck in one spot like and some people when we tap them in like it's an incredible amount of pain in the heart it's so tight and so tense because the body's been working so long to keep this back keep it at bay and rightfully so because it hurts and it you know and and they might not have had the support to feel it and um, so what we're trying to do is build a container for it, right? So one way to do that is through the body, you know, building a container through the body, whether it's through self-contact, self-touch, or, um, you know, uh, well, let's, let's say it this way. So like when, when it gets all tightened around the heart, the energy of the sadness gets all like, like concentrated in one spot. So it feels unbearable. It feels like if I open up to this, it's gonna take me over. It's gonna be way too much. Cause it's all concentrated in one spot. So what we're trying to do in this example is get the energy of the sadness to actually expand. Mm. And and we do that very slowly, very gently, very deliberately. Yeah. Yeah. But but the idea is that if I bring my hand here, for example, or I just bring my awareness and and care for the space, tend to it. Uh, through awareness, compassion, or my hand, uh, or support, you know, through a therapist or a friend or a therapy dog or uh, feeling the support of the couch or the weighted blanket, you know. The idea is then if I allow for some softening, I can get the energy, the, the sadness to start to expand, to actually come out into my arms out and down into my hands to come down into my torso down into my pelvis my legs my feet to come up into my face and move through the the cheeks and the tongue and the muscles of the face like so if we get the energy of the sadness to actually expand um, what happens is the surface area spreads out so before it was all concentrated in one spot felt unbearable but but now we're getting the energy to actually expand, and we're trusting. And this is the slow process of learning to use the body as a container, you know, to have those strong banks. Uh, so so if we if we learn how to contain it, you know, contain the energy, you know, uh, bring online the body as this container, and uh, start to trust that and feel that and sense that, then. What happens, and not only that, but the, the, in this case, the energy of the sadness is actually expanding. So the so what happens is the surface area spreads out. It's not concentrated in one spot, so it feels like it's easier to be with. I can mm-hmm. be with it longer. Mm-hmm. It's actually like doesn't feel unbearable anymore. It allows the sadness to be more available. So if there's a message to integrate or listen, I can hear it, and then the body helps regulate it. So mm. the idea is, if you build the container, you know, then the energy can flow more freely. And whatever's there can transform, it can move, it can change. And so that sadness might flow through and come out, Uh, you know, might discharge, it might transform. Sometimes it even transforms into a resource. And in that space, what happens, and this is the answer to your question, is then I went into the trauma vortex a little bit, you know when it felt safe enough and there's enough support you know once again in a titrated way but i dipped into that trauma vortex i dipped into the difficulty and i was able to be with it long enough and sometimes it's just even a few moments sometimes it's you know and then all of a sudden the healing vortex uh, or the resourcing vortex the counter vortex opens up naturally so i'm having you know someone's feeling you know their hand on their heart they're sensing some of the pain maybe some tears move through and then all of a sudden, this big breath comes in, this big exhale, <sighs> and I'm like, "Wow, okay, like let's notice that exhale. What is it like for that exhale to move through? Wow, that felt really good. There's this wave of relief. Let's track that. Let's follow that, yeah. right? And so the 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 so the body naturally opened up that counter vortex by wow. going into the difficulty. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, um, earlier I wanted to say, um like the feeling of symptoms or i'm sorry i I know you had a different word for it but it's almost like that's like what the body's trying to express and rather than push it down or try and correct the expression of it you have to allow the full expression of it but because that is such an energetically taxing experience like it totally fits with exactly what you're trying to say like you're trying to get the body to express and to like be a container to hold that expression, which is oftentimes so much bigger than what our mind allows to come through. So we have all these defense mechanisms. Right. Um, I think this is probably a, a good spot for us to uh, put a bookmark um, and maybe return on a future episode. Sure. Um, but thank you so much for um, detailing the work that you do because I think that this is so vitally important. Um, my my big thing is that like we are a society of... People who have a lot of trauma that is going unchecked. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of a reflection of why we're in such tense socio political times. And the way forward is understanding these principles that you're talking about with trauma, because it is the micro, that is the macrocosm of our society. So thank you so much for your time and um, just your energy and the fact that you're dedicating to this practice, man. Like, really, it's. I mean, meeting with you, like when we first met, it actually did deeply affect me just on how uh, commi- committed to it you are. And um, it's pointed me in a completely different direction. Um, yeah. So, awesome. where can people find you and what are some ways that people can plug in? Um, I don't know if you're comfortable with disclosing where you're mm-hmm. located. So, I'll let you do that. But if someone is seeking this work, how do they get a hold of you? How do they expand their understanding?
1: yeah for sure yeah yeah and once again you know it's a it's a pleasure to be here and you know yeah i'm super passionate about this stuff and and uh you know um it's 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 wonderful to be able to bring it you know more into the world and um you know and to sit here with you and and to talk about what i what i'm passionate about and and uh um so thank you thank you for creating a container for for it to kind of bubble bubble up and bubble through and um yeah, you know, so I'm I'm located in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I have a private practice here um, where I work with you know individuals, couples, and family, um, you know, uh, mostly you know helping with with trauma and stress and um, and uh, you know attachment-based uh, relational stuff that shows up in relationship and, and stuff like that and. Um, and uh, yeah, and I have a I have a website, so I kind of have a, a portal that I um, am slowly expanding and, and adding to. Um, but it's it's just nicholasboltoncounseling.com, dot com, um, and that's just the uh, the the portal for my private practice work and has information about some of my counseling services. And um, soon I'm going to be uh, posting more like workshop opportunities where. Um, I'm going to be offering just more online uh, opportunities ways to build you know community and um, you know little educational types type type stuff Um, there's a way to join my email list on there um, that I'm slowly getting together uh, to um, share just you know what I'm up to more resources and stuff and Um, and I'm going to be starting my own podcast as well. Um, and so, you know, so it's, it's really inspiring to be here and, um, and to connect with you. And, and this is really, um, you know, uh, inspiring me to, you know, bring, bring this work, you know, more into the world. And this is the best way I know how is, you know, um, you know, to start having real conversations with people and, Yeah, and so so if people go to my website um, and they sign up for my email list, and um, and soon I'll have you know information about about the podcast and and um, you know and and just different events and and things like that. And so right now my services are actually like my counseling services are limited to people located in the state of Ohio, and that's for licensing um, Mm -hmm. limits and things like that. Um, but you know, that, that's why I want to start doing these workshops in the podcast so I can actually bring, um, this work out into the, you know, the, the whole, the whole world, you know, and, um, and, uh, yeah. So thank you for, you know, um, dropping in with me and having me on and creating container for this. Um, it's really awesome. Of course,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anything I can do to help. I think your message should have as many channels as humanly possible because i think it is a really important one and you're a good uh container for it as well mm-hmm. you know i can tell you've really spent a lot of time with the content and uh, i think it shows in the way that you're able to speak about it so i think your podcast is going to do really well um and yeah hopefully we can uh keep intermingling and mm-hmm. um continue sharing space totally so yeah. um for everybody uh, i will have his and your website Posted with the description. So, all of those details will be made available to you uh, with like spelling and all that. So, um, just look in the description and you'll be able to get linked up. Awesome. Awesome. So, thank you so much, Nicholas. I will talk to you very soon, my friend.
1: All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you. Right on. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. And hopefully you learned a little bit something just about um, the way that vitality operates in relation to trauma and how it may end up being blocked. Um, Yeah, there's so much that you can do to research this. If this is something that speaks to you, I really suggest... um, keeping an eye out on Nicholas's uh, platform that he has with his website, as well as looking into some of the books that we talked about. uh, Peter Levine's Waking the Tiger is largely influential. um, Stephen Porges' work with the Polyvagal Theory is something that has really enticed my curiosity. Um, Bessel van der Kolk with uh, The Body Keeps the Score. All of these books are absolutely incredible, and I, I really suggest them. Um, so thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, you're the, the real MVP. You make the show possible. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll catch you next week.